Greetings from Mycadelic Space. I am thrilled to be presenting you with this conversation today with the great Lorenzo Haggerty, the host of the Psychedelic Salon podcast. What a pleasure, what a joy to speak with this wonderful human being. Lorenzo has been somebody that I've been listening to ever since I first started getting into psychedelics. And the Psychedelic Salon has been one of the primary resources for my learning and understanding about the world of psychedelics and all that goes into that, all of the thoughts. And as Lorenzo always says, at the end of the Psychedelic Salon podcast, or as the message says, when you're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, this is the place where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. And boy, isn't that true. When I first started getting into psychedelics in 2012, I discovered the Psychedelic Salon, and I would routinely listen and be excited for every new episode that comes out. Lorenzo has put together quite a catalog here of 600 plus episodes of content, curated talks, old talks from Terrence McKenna, Timothy Leary, uh, Ram Dass, Alan Watts, Robert Anton Wilson, Sasha Shulgin, Bruce Damer, former podcast guests Daniel Pinchbeck, Rick Doblin, Aldous Huxley, and of course my favorites, the Terrence McKenna Talks, and many, many more uh, prominent and important voices in the psychedelic space. Lorenzo is, is an amazingly uh, wonderful and nice, kind human being, and I, I sort of vil, uh, view him as a, um, a tribal elder gathering us all around the virtual cyberdelic fire to commune with one another over stories and talks and ideas and thoughts. And just a kind and wise, very wise human being. And I think this conversation uh, is, you know, one of my favorite conversations. I, I could talk to Lorenzo for hours and days on end. Um, so if you are not familiar with the Psychedelic Salon, you need to be. You need to go to your podcast app and search for Psychedelic Salon because the resources that this podcast, the, the information, the thoughts, the talks from these pioneers, these psychedelic pioneers and thought leaders are some of the most fabulous, mind-expanding, thought-provoking conversations and talks that you could ever hear anywhere. So thank you. Thank you, Lorenzo, for your service in being a wise elder of this cause to help bring us around the virtual cyberdelic fireplace to share your wisdom and the wisdom of others in which you've learned from. Lorenzo uh, has an amazing story, uh, and we cover a little bit of that, but we don't go into the full details of his story. Um, he was born in Illinois. He uh, graduated uh, with a Bachelor of Science degree in electrical engineering from University of Notre Dame in, in 1964. He left law school uh, in 65 to serve as a crew member on a uh, square rig sailing ship. Um, he worked as a stuntman. In uh, on the movie Hawaii, he's been in a lot of other uh, films. 
He received an appointment as a U.S. Naval officer in 66. Uh, He was the executive officer and navigator for the USS Apache during uh, Scorpion Phase 2 operation, where he spent uh, a year away from home while investigating uh, the loss of the submarine. Um, He's worked as an electrical engineer. He uh, went and graduated from the Houston Law School in 1972. He passed the Texas State Bar, and he was a lawyer. He practiced law in Houston, Texas. Um, He decided to leave his law practice and focus on other things. After leaving his law practice, he became involved in a a network marketing company, Success Incorporated. Uh, And after that... In 1979, he founded Dynasty Computer Corporation, and Dynasty was the first network marketing company to exclusively carry uh, then very new home computers. Uh, It was a couple years before, actually, IBM brought out their first PC. Uh, Then Lorenzo went on uh, to do some other things. He uh, wrote a book called The Spirit of the Internet and became a staple at Burning Man. He was the organizer of the Palenque Norte theme camp at Burning Man. You can check that out. You can find out all of this information, by the way, at the psychedelicsalon.com. So all the things that you want to know about Lorenzo. He has a great video called Confessions of an Ecstasy Advocate. In 2005, is that's when he started the Psychedelic Salon. So Lorenzo's been in the podcasting game, one of the pioneers of podcasting. So Lorenzo is really, uh, it seems like every area of his life, he's, uh, he's pioneering something. He's creating something new. He's birthing something uh, radically new and different into reality. And uh, throughout his life, he's been, he's been doing and he's sharing his great creativity with us all. Um, in 2009, he published the audiobook edition of his novel, The Genesis Generation. Um, and that's also available in paperback and ebook. And Lorenzo also has lots of free books available. So if you go to LorenzoHaggerty.com, you can get Lorenzo's books for free. The Chronicles of Lorenzo, Volume 1, The Genesis Generation, The Spirit of the Internet, which we talk a little bit about in the podcast, and Scattered Thoughts. Um, So you can go and you can find out a lot of stuff uh, about Lorenzo by just visiting his website, psychedelicsalon.com and lorenzohaggerty.com. And uh, what a just an amazing human being. And I think we had a a really wonderful conversation that you guys are going to really enjoy a lot. So, so pleased and so grateful to spend this uh, hour and a half with with Lorenzo. And uh, yeah, I feel like I have a new friend and it's, and it feels nice. And it feels nice after listening to Lorenzo for so many years and just always feeling that warm feeling when he's saying greetings and welcome to cyberdelic space and be well, my friends. It's, uh, it's just so nice to, to make this connection and uh, find the others, of course. And, uh, and yeah, that's it, really. Um, you know, the conversation's really that good, so I'm not going to go on to talk about anything really else uh, other than just a couple of uh, quick business things. In the show notes, there's links uh, in the bottom of the description for the podcast. You see we have sponsors there. We have Hemp Bombs that makes all kinds of hemp-derived CBD products that are really nice. Uh, I really like the the edibles. Um, they sent me a bunch of stuff. Uh, actually, they have a, a CBD beard bomb 
Uh, so I've been using that and, uh, it's pretty cool. It smells nice and it feels good. So go to hempbombs.com and put in the code Mike 15, you get 15% off all their hemp derived CBD products. And they have a lot, pretty much almost anything that you can imagine. They have put uh, CBD in it and they have that for sale. Um, you can also check out Synchro uh, at bsynchro.com and they have keto and plant-based nutrition products and you could put in the code Mikeadelic to get 20% off there. And also the Navigating Psychedelics course that's put out by Psychedelics Today on how to navigate through psychedelics. So if you have questions, if you're interested in learning more about psychedelics, the guys from Psychedelics Today, Joe and Kyle, have put together a pretty comprehensive course, and that's available in the show notes as well. If you like this show and you want to support it, the best way you can do that is just by sharing it. You know, you don't need, you don't need me to tell you what to do. If you like something, you know what to do. Um, just spread it. And, uh, and that's really the goal here is just to spread the message and get more people turned on to what we're talking about here. You can uh, donate to the show on Patreon. I have a Patreon page. And you can go to uh, patreon.com slash Mike Brank. Now, you can donate as little as a dollar a month. You can donate as little as $2 a month, $3, $4, $5, $50. Some people donate $50. Thank you to those people. Uh, tremendously, tremendous thank you. Um, really, what this does is it just helps me keep the show going. Uh, it helps me uh, buy new equipment for the show. It helps me put a little bit of money into marketing for the show. And the way that I look at it is that all the patrons of the show are essentially the producers of this show. So I take their feedback and their suggestions more than, I guess, other people, you know, because these people are very invested in what's going on with the show. Uh, there's also reward tiers. So if you donate a dollar, you don't really, well, you don't get anything except the thank you. But uh, if you donate $5, you, you get some rewards. I forget what, exactly what the rewards are, but there's bonus episodes. I have, you know, Mikeadelic swag. We got stickers. We got cards. We got posters. We have t-shirts. Uh, we have all kinds of fun and interesting things. And then we also have other, other opportunities like, uh, you know, personal calls with me and um, you know, things like that. I know sometimes people are going through uh, difficult experiences or they have questions with things that might need some more time. So some of those reward tiers are dedicated towards those services as well. And, uh, and also the WhatsApp chat group, the Mycadelic Inner Sanctum, which is a beautiful thing because there's people in this chat group that are Patreon supporters from all around the world that get to communicate and talk with each other about their experiences and you know their their view of psychedelics and their trip reports and what's going on. It's great. I love bringing people together and introducing people to new people and and having that virtual community there. So it's really wonderful. Um, so check that out if you're interested and um, follow Mikeadelic underscore podcast on Instagram and on uh, Facebook Mikeadelic and all that wonderful stuff. Uh, yeah. And that's pretty much it. So I um, hope you guys enjoy this podcast with Lorenzo Haggerty, the host of the Psychedelic Salon, author of many books, some for free. Uh, go check out all of his stuff. Again, Lorenzo Haggerty.com, psychedelicsalon.com. And uh, he's got a wealth of, of resources here for from books to 
videos, lectures, talks, um, articles, and of course, the Psychedelic Salon podcast, which has all of the wonderful talks from Terrence McKenna to Alan Watts, Timothy Leary, Ram Dass, um, Robert Anton Wilson, and many more. So thank you, Lorenzo, for being such a, an amazing, creative pioneer uh, and for bringing us into this world and for connecting through this cyberdelic space for a mind-expanding conversation. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Enjoy. Lorenzo Haggerty, everyone. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. So no, I'm just I'm just so excited for you being here and, and talking with me because you're one of you're an influential figure in not just my life but many of the people uh, who are kind of emerging back into this psychedelic renaissance that we see now happening and discovering uh, the psychedelic salon for me was like a pinnacle moment in my life because I didn't know anybody was talking about these kinds of things and sharing this kind of stuff. And I started having experiences and it became like my go-to place and my go-to hub. So I just want to start off by just thanking you for, for putting that out and creating that and being the, the kind, warm presence that you are on that show, the welcoming, inviting uh, leader of the, uh, you know, curating these psychedelic talks for all of us to, to share them so we can, uh, you know, it, it's helped finding the others and bringing people together. And now we're here now. So just a major congrats to you for, for that. And thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you saying that, Mike. And, and, you know, to be honest, you know, I started this whole thing, you know, over 14 years ago as a hobby. And, uh, What's kept me going is I do hear from from uh, people like you and, and many others who have uh, sort of been out at the end of the line. And that's where I was for a long time. I didn't have anybody to talk to about this stuff. And so uh, I grew up listening to radio in the Midwest, you know, in the in the 50s and 60s. And so uh, th to me, this is sort of like old time radio where a guy can tune in late at night and, and not feel totally uh, like the Lone Ranger in this uh, this world. You know what I mean? So 
I guess you do because you're one of them, right? That's exactly what I would do. I would go home. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd smoke a joint or I'd pack a bowl or something and I'd go, all right, it's time to put on the psychedelic salon. Maybe I'd lay in, you know, start listening, eventually lay in bed and, and it would be, I'd fall asleep, uh, you know, with it in my ears, you know, after about an hour and a half or however long I could hang on, you know, being so high and listening to these amazing talks. And yeah, it's just, you, you've been a part of my life. And so it's like, and it's been the inspiration for me to, to create this show as well, you know, among others as well. But, but it's really, it was a, my intro into this world. And so, yeah, I mean, really we live in, we live in a day and age now where this sort of thing is so needed, you know, these conversations to be shared, just even hearing a conversation like we're about to have now, just people talking about these things. I get so many people that message me too that say, you know, hey, I work this crazy job and it sucks. And, you know, I just put your, I put my headphones on, I found your podcast and I listen. And it's just amazing to know that other people are talking about this stuff. So the power of the internet, the power of communication and the power to bring people together. It's uh, one of the oldest forms, right? The oral storytelling sort of tradition. And now it's it's coming back and it's been back. And you're one of the pioneers. You've been doing podcasts podcasting since 2005 when no one even knew what a podcast was. I mean, you've been a pioneer in so many things. Well, and, you know, I didn't yeah. I didn't mean I didn't mean to be a pioneer in podcasting. I'm just kind of a geek and it was a new technology and I was playing around with it, you know. So, uh, uh but what you said a little a minute ago is so important that, that we're able to talk about these things. And that was that was one of the reasons I'd like to do these uh, podcasts uh, about the psychedelic salon, about psychedelics and philosophy things like that. Because, you know, uh, you don't, it, it, it used to be, it was difficult to talk about this, uh, say, at work. Uh, my, one of my best friends, a guy I wound up going to Palenque uh, with in Mexico, he and I had lunch together every day for almost a year before we could admit that we both smoked pot because huh. it was so dangerous back then to talk about it. Yeah. And, uh, and now with all the research going on and, and uh, you know, I, I have it on good authority that there is a full-time employee at, at uh, Google uh, who simply his job or her job, I'm not sure which, uh, is to teach people how to microdose. <laughs> right. So there's been some big strides made. And, and, and your program is definitely uh, adding to the conversation. And that's what we're all doing. You know, we're just other voices out here adding to the conversation. And that's what's so important is to get people to talk about this in, in a, a normal uh, state of mind and not to get all irrational about, oh, drugs, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think what I try and do, I know there's a lot of great shows out there that go into kind of the science of psychedelics and how it impacts the brain and the research and, you know, these sorts of things. And I think my show is more kind of talking about more, I don't know, the surrounding landscape of the psychedelic mindset, you know, the the kind of what we do after we have these experience, what can we, you know, as Terrence used to say, like, how can we bring something back, you know, to this world? You know, what's what good is the psychedelic experience if, it, if you're just tripping out and not really, I mean, I, I guess it still has fun, you know, you can still have fun, but still, the, the, you know, kind of really talking about like, okay, what can we do as like a community? How can we kind of manifest psychedelic values into the world and what can we create and bring? So I, I love, I love that aspect of it. And, you know, big, like I said, I mean, just a big inspiration for me is listening to your show. Um, but before you had that, uh, I know you can, you, you, you're, a, uh, you've authored so many books and, um, 
you know, that one of the things that I was talking about recently was this convergence of psychedelics and the internet. And I know Terrence talked about that a lot, and Timothy Leary talked about that towards the end of his life a lot more. He was getting into that kind of cyberdelic, as you say, you know, uh, situation. And you wrote a book called uh, The Spirit of the Internet. And now I have to apologize, Lorenzo, I'm not familiar with all of your books because I did kind of make my way into listening to you through the podcast, and I'm kind of more of a podcasty, audible kind of guy, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about maybe some of your books, um, and we could start maybe by talking about the spirit of the internet and just, you know, what how that came about, and and, and maybe you could share like some pieces of or synopsis of, of these sorts of things, and that would be also a good way to get kind of people involved in, in checking out some of these works, and I look forward to as well. Yeah, and and uh, uh, you'll also be happy to hear that uh, the, that book and and three others are. I finally got them online for free. You can p- download them in PDF format, and they work on Kindle Find. So uh, uh, you know, save save a tree that way. Oh, amazing! And, uh, they're all available for free. So uh, you go to uh, the easiest place is go to psychedelicsalon.com. All my links are there, but uh, the links to the free book are in the program notes to most of the podcasts, but it's uh, lorenzohaggerty.com slash free books and uh, uh, the spirit of the internet, uh, the, the novel Genesis Generation, and uh, let's see, oh, my latest book, my volume one of my chronicles and something else I've got is up there right now. I'll, I'm going to get a few more up there, but uh, the spirit of the internet is, is one that uh, I was working on. Uh, I started it actually. Uh, Back during, uh, in the summer of 98, uh, <laughs> I, I went to my very first Terrence McKenna workshop up at Omega Institute, and uh, he kind of inspired me to write this and, uh, uh, in, in the talk. And, uh, you know, we were up there for a long weekend and, and conversations and stuff, and I mentioned to him what I was doing. And then uh, it was, uh, well, it was a year and a half later at the last conference uh, he gave in, in Hawaii a few months before he died. Uh, I was able to talk with him about it again, and basically, the the book is uh, a, a carry forward from uh, the uh, famous phenomena of man that uh, Teilhard de Chardin wrote, uh, and uh, it's basically a, 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 a version. It's called the Spirit of the Internet because it's about uh, not about uh, making money and and. Uh, e-commerce on the net but it's about the the spirit that comes about from uh, the the camaraderie on the net and look at right now you know here you and i have never met in person but we're already new best friends yeah, yeah. <laughs> the internet in in you know, brings that about but also uh chardin wrote or Teilhard wrote a, a book uh Later on, after that one, I think it was written in the 50s even, in which he, uh, it must have been written in the 50s, because he, he predicted that he was talking about an omega point where, you know, global consciousness all comes together. And he predicted that uh, perhaps it would come about from these new machines called computers. And at the time he wrote it, I think there were only like, you know, four or five computers on the planet, and there was no networking even done then. Uh, and so I just took that little basic idea. And uh, I thought I had an original idea, and, and Terrence McKenna told me that not only had he thought of it, but so had dozens others. And, and I learned that, yeah, a lot of people have been thinking about these things. So I, I wrote <laughs> Fo- about the- Foisted by McKenna. I had that happen to me recently, actually. <laughs> I, I said something about the sacred cows, and I was like, oh, maybe that's why people are fun. And someone was like, yeah, McKenna talked about that already. I was like, ah, <laughs> damn it. 
<laughs> I know. I, you know, it's hard to find anything that, that, uh, he or actually somebody else hasn't touched on. I, I, for a while there, I was making a, a little game of, uh, when I, I had what I thought was an original idea, I'd go out and Google it. And if there were less than, than a thousand hits on that idea, I thought, well, it's close to a new idea. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, it's as good as we can get. So, but I, I, uh, I tried to talk about uh, how uh, the consciousness uh, change and manifestation that we uh, experience sometimes when we're in the net uh, in, in intensive situations are, are mimicking uh, what we also experience in, in cyberspace. And, and you know, there, there's always been a deep connection between psychedelic people and the Internet. Uh, there's a really, really good book called What the Dormouse Said. Uh, I think it was John Dvorak. No, it wasn't Dvorak. I can't quite remember who wrote that. But it was written about the uh, what he considered the four people who created the intersection of the uh, personal computer world that we're in today. Uh, the, the people who took it from uh, being a big going behind a glass window IBM uh, thing and then uh, at Xerox Park inventing the, the mouse and, the, and windows, essentially. Mm. And then the uh, the uh, New Brew Home Computer Club, where all of these these uh, people who were working uh, not only in the free speech movement, but in the uh, Xerox Park and in in the technological end of the things, all came together. And that's of course where Apple came out of there. But a significant number of all those people went through the fourth uh, branch, which was Myron Stolaroff's clinic in Menlo Park, his uh, LSD clinic. And uh, Myron and I became good friends, so I became I got to learn a lot about that. And there were over 350 people that went through that. And it wasn't uh, like we're doing in medical research today about uh, <clears throat> psychology and helping your inner soul and all. This was... Uh, this, this, these experiments were designed to uh, see how LSD and psilocybin, to a lesser degree, could enhance the creative potential and productivity of people. And so they had like a, a man who was an architect uh, came in, and he was the head of an architectural firm, I guess. And, and uh, he, he, uh, uh, they'd been stuck. They had a, a job to develop a, a city block in downtown L.A. or something like that. And and they hadn't really come up with the design that they were looking for, and they were at a block on it. And so he came in, and they they do you know they they had to go through training for this. <laughs> they, yeah. they had like a six week course before they could have their one LSD experience. Right. And then and then uh, that experience, they'd be you know four or five hours of of music and inner work and all. And then this guy got his drawing tools out and he had a drafting board and all set up for him. And uh, within a matter of a couple hours, he laid out this 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 plan that is now a city block in downtown L.A. And uh, that's the kind of breakthroughs that they were experiencing with that work. And and uh, the author of the What the Dormouse Says gives Myron Solaroff credit as being one of the four people who really created the personal computer revolution, because <laughs> all of these people who are really building the technology were also uh, essentially acid heads. Yeah. The, uh, so that was uh, John Markoff that, that wrote that book. Right. And yeah, and it, it's so amazing. You know, it's just this this thing has been on my mind recently. And that's why I kind of started with your book, the, the Spirit of the Internet and talking about this. And um 
I've really been thinking a lot about the the new ideas that have been birthed out of this psychedelic consciousness and how that if we can keep kind of going and leaning in towards into that space that it's like the potential is limitless and you know, I know that uh, Humphrey Osmond was uh, the one who coined the term psychedelic, and which which means actually mind manifesting, manifesting of the mind, and that is what the internet is. You know, and it's a perfect it's a perfect mesh and a perfect fit with the psychedelic experience, and sort of the two together now coming on at this time is really doing something transformational. I wonder what it's like for you, you know, having lived and experienced so many different things in your life to now be a part of this. How do you see it? How do you see uh, what's happening right now with the convergence of the internet and with the psychedelic uh, movement kind of becoming more and more known to people? Well, if I allow myself to really think about it from a, a position of perspective, I have to say, I can't fucking believe it. <laughs> you know, I I still have a memory of a uh, you know growing up in in a, a small town on these outskirts of Chicago, and on the Sunday paper in the front page of the comic section of the Trib, Chicago Trib was a Dick Tracy. It was the lead cartoon strip there, and Dick Tracy had this big watch on his hand that was actually a two way wrist radio. And my friends and I would fantasize about the fact that maybe someday something like that could really be possible. Mm. I mean, that, that was our wildest dream. Okay? Right. Now, now, flash forward to around 1996 or 7, something like that, at the uh, first Java One convention in uh, conference in San Francisco when uh, Sun Microsystems first uh, rolled out their uh, their big Java uh, exposition there, and I I, uh, I was representing Verizon there. But they were uh, we were one of their big customers, and and I, I gave a talk at the conference, and then afterwards, since I was one of their customers, I got invited to this this dinner, and there were a bunch of executives there from from uh, Sun and uh, Netscape, and uh, they were all talking about wireless. And, and, you know, think about this. Back in 1996, I think it was, five or, five or six, the Wi-Fi wasn't around. There was no such thing. But these guys were getting rich, and they were living up in the hills above San Jose, and they, they didn't have internet connections up there, at least not good ones. And they were putting a lot of their R&D money into high-speed wireless internet so that when they retired up in the mountains, they could have high-speed internet. Right. And, it was a very personal decision on a lot of their parts, and I kind of blew them off, to tell you the truth. I didn't think that that was going to happen. Well, look where we are today. You mm -hmm. know, that it, it, it's just unimaginable the distance that has gone, not in my lifetime, but just in the last really 10, 15 years. It's, it's awesome what's happening. Yeah, totally. It really is. And, you know, I, I, my memory only goes back to, you know, 1996, I was like 11 years old. And, you know, I remember going on AOL and being like, wow, this is cool. I can tell my friends what I'm doing or go into a chat room or do something like that. And then, you know, to see it come as far as it's come even just since then. So I can't even imagine what it's like, you know, for you. And yeah, the Dick Tracy thing. I remember that. I think it was a cartoon on Saturday mornings I used to watch too. But it's, it is amazing. And we're in this kind of rate of exponential change right now where it seems like things are just moving faster and faster and faster. And with that, I but, think, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, you, you really can appreciate the change every bit as much as I can, I think, because, you know, having started with AOL, you know, in the old dial-up networks, 
that's that's the change from then till now is is greater i think than the change from uh 1900 to 1965 something like that i mean it's just just unbelievable you know we're now able to have a, a zoom conference a video conference on our phone with uh, you know three or four billion people if, if we really wanted to connect with somebody somewhere uh, it's it's unbelievable the uh, ability for human beings to connect with one another without having to go through newspapers and radio and television stations now I'm not saying it's it's anywhere near uh, where we really need it to be but at least the tools are there that we can start building with yeah totally and you're right about that it has been such a exponential change you know since that time and it's it's strange because it's strange to think of now children born just into that so this is their normal this is the new normal for them so they don't really know what it was like before we had this connectivity um and you know one of the things that we one some of the things i think about sometimes i i I get the sense you're a totally hopeful positive guy here and you know i i feel the same way too I can't help but think about sometimes some of the discourse or lack thereof that happens with the internet and some of the policies that government looks to impose on restricting internet or, you know, doing certain things. And I'm hearing now about this 5G tower rollout and who knows if it's going to be good or bad or whatever. There's so many different things that I'm seeing out there. But uh, I wonder, do you have any um, fears or do you have any um, sort of worries or concerns about kind of where we're at right now with this kind of new and novel connectivity for the first time that we know of where it's unprecedented that we're able to kind of see and talk to each other with that comes all this wonderful thing, all these wonderful things, but also comes naturally uh, a lot of not so wonderful things. But you know, I I uh, hesitate to to make any kind of <laughs> forecast because uh, anything I thought three or four years ago is now essentially out the window. You know, things have changed so so rapidly, and uh, I, but I don't really have any fears about it because uh, I think things are going to be first of all self correcting, and I get to spend uh, a lot of time uh, hours during the weekday with uh, my two youngest uh, grandchildren who are. Uh, you know, 14 and a half and, and almost 11. And so I, I spend time with these kids who have grown up totally in this age. And I, and I uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the adult when I'm with them. I'm their buddy. <laughs> the, other, the other adults can be adults. And so I'm, I'm sort of their, their playmate. Now I'm learning with them. And, and I'm, I'm, they're showing me how they're using these tools to interact with their friends. And, and uh, you know, their parents are good about limiting screen time and stuff like that. And they're both very active in, in uh, sports and all. And through them and their friends, I am so... Uh, positive about the future because these kids are really smart and they're not going to take crap from anybody. They're not going to believe things because they can go look things up. Uh, they're not going to believe uh, false stories are told and they'll go check things out. And But there's downsides to this as well, you know, that uh, they can get uh, caught in if they're not careful and their parents aren't monitoring them. Uh, you can get caught in some of these traps of, of loops. Uh, I've seen uh, intelligent people get into these uh, uh, bot farms of, of, uh, of uh, you know, evil uh, talk and stuff. And you can, you can really warp somebody's mind if you're not careful. And right. 
That's another thing about psychedelics that people don't realize that the the CIA has been experimenting with mind control and using psychedelics, among other things, since the 50s. Right. Uh, they didn't stop. MK Ultra was just one program that was being run by them. And, and uh, there are a lot of, 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 you know, upsetting things that are going on with, with this world, too, uh, and with the world of psychedelics and psychedelic research. It's not all uh, bunnies and, and roses in, in uh, you know, outside of the uh, university and medical settings. There's, there's some downright bad stuff being done about mind control. Mm. But it's, it turns out that uh, mind control without drugs is <laughs> where things are going because uh, we can be controlled by our screens and these, these uh, different uh, messages, you know, that we tend to, to follow the, uh, the paths of uh, links that are uh, reinforcing things that we already believe oftentimes. And that's why it's uh, one of the things I learned long before the Internet uh, I used to read I.F. Stone's Weekly. He was a, sort of a rabble rouser uh, reporter kind of guy. And uh, somebody asked, he was, he was really, uh, uh, you know, a very liberal guy. Uh, but somebody asked him what his, about his reading list, what publications he read. And he shocked everybody because he didn't read any liberal or, or you know, any publications that sort of agreed with him. He only read the people who were opposite him. He said, I know what I think already. I need to know what other people think so I know uh, how, to, how to talk to them. And that's, that's uh, one of the things that I think is going to be a long-term positive from the net because uh, when it first became popular back in the early 90s, you know, everybody went to the internet. But after a while, people found out you couldn't trust uh, uh, everything. And now people are learning you can't trust a whole lot of things on the internet. Yeah. You have to search it out for yourself. And I think that uh, while the school system seems to be falling down on us, uh, uh, that is encouraging some uh, critical thinking that I think is uh, desperately needed today. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, critical thinking is what we need for sure. It, it used to be where you could just kind of turn on your local station or whatever, turn into NBC or something and be like, okay, I guess this is the news and that's what they're telling us and that's what's going on. But now, so much information, almost overwhelming. Uh, I think it was um, uh, Huxley in Brave New World that said that, like, you know, the, the future, uh, or maybe it was Neil Postman in his book, um, uh, uh, talking about the Huxley's analysis of of uh, the book Brave New World, uh, talking about how like in the you know it's not going to be that we're going to live in this Orwellian future where there's going to be people that ban books, but we'll live in this future where there'll be so many books and there'll be so much information that people w w won't even be bothered to to read them because there's going to be other distractions that'll that they'll get sucked into. Like you mentioned, you can kind of get sucked into that. And I know you know Terrence used to talk about drugs and 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 t television being a, a form of a drug and uh that you can kind of get hypnotized into and sucked into and i guess social media and the internet kind of offers that as well it kind of it offers this wide landscape but it also offers a slice of of that as a as a possibility yeah and and you know that uh, the, uh, uh an added uh, level of difficulty is that when we do go to the net and we have our our favorite search engine whatever it is the uh you're still depending on the algorithms from those search engines to bring up uh things that that would match the uh question or interest that you have 
And all of those are going to be weighted, uh, even unintentionally, by the people who write the code. You know, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, which is really just uh, code, is uh, most of the AI code right now is being written by uh, white and Asian men under 30. Mm. Uh, so some bias is going to come into that, no matter you know how how hard they try to keep it out, and it's not their fault. But right. uh, we we have to become critical of our search engines as well as the information they provide. And uh, I think it's it's uh, always still going to come down to uh, uh, us having you know a handful of close friends that we bounce things off of and see what they think too. And and uh, hopefully we have friends that don't always agree with us, so they can uh, tell us when we're heading down the wrong path. Oh yeah, that's that's the key. And you know, it, it, in in this exploration of information and and dialogue with other people, it's like, yeah, you want to get those different perspectives. You want to kind of inform yourself of all sides so you can, you know, make a well-informed, educated, non-biased decision or as non-biased as possible with with the proper information. So the internet definitely provides that because you have people all everyone's uploading stuff and you know everyone's got their opinions and everyone's putting things out there. But you know the psychedelic experience kind of does that too, right? I mean with it presenting us with all this stuff and we have to kind of go, okay, how are we going to tune into this? Where do you do you see that uh, in a similar kind of way that I'm bringing it up like that comparison to you know the internet and what it provides and how we interact with it versus also the psychedelic experience? Well, Mike, I tell you the truth, I hadn't thought of it before, but I think that's an excellent analogy uh, <laughs> because it's uh, some, sometimes the psychedelic experience can be like uh, uh, going out to the, the internet and asking a question and not having a search engine to filter it out, but instead just get <laughs> blasted with all the files. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you got to sort through it yourself. All and, these downloads coming in, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And, and like you were saying earlier, you know, Terrence McKenna, I think, used to say that, well, you can go out and have a great time and enjoy it, but you're, you're just a psychedelic tourist unless you uh, take some of that great experience and then come back and sort through it and, and do something with it. Right. And, and you know, it's, it's sometimes people seem to get discouraged because they'll have a, an intense psychedelic experience that seemed very meaningful. And, and then a week later, they'll seem to have lost most of that feeling. But what I've come to learn, uh, at least about myself and, and uh, a few other people have told me this. In fact, uh, Ralph Metzner, who recently died, uh, was a big proponent of this, mm. saying, you know, you, you have to give these experiences time uh, to, to work through for you. And, and uh, I can't remember his exact example, but it was a very powerful one where he, he'd gone into a psychedelic experience with a uh, strong intention uh, that didn't seem to get answered at all. Until sometime like six months later, uh, somebody said something or something happened and he had a flashback, not a flashback like you hear in the press, but his mind just all of a sudden flashed to something that happened during that experience. And all of a sudden, everything came clear to him and unraveled. Uh, so you, you just have to give these things uh, time as well. Uh, I used to be really kind of anal in the way I did the approach these things, my mushroom experiences in particular, I was living in Florida where mushrooms were, you know, freely plentiful uh, out in the fields. And uh, so I used to take a tape recorder in with me, one of those things that was voice activated. Mm -hmm. And I have these mushroom tapes that are, are you know, just 
bits and pieces of stuff I said while I was on mushroom trips. And uh, to tell the truth, uh, I've only spot listened. There's over 20 hours of stuff there. And I've wow. only spot listened to a couple of them. And uh, uh, from time to time, I was describing a visual. And some of those visuals actually came back. But to tell the truth, uh, I've never really uh, seen, felt like I had the time to go back and listen to all that. And it's not anything that mean anything to somebody else. But uh, I think that the fact that I was recording that, I knew I had it, somehow in the back of my mind encouraged me to keep thinking about these experiences. And, and uh, answers come over time. Yeah, they they certainly do. And I can relate to both of those experiences. Actually, the one that you brought up with Ralph Metzner, I had a flashback moment. It's very similar to that. About it was uh, almost, I think, how long was it? I'm Maybe six months as well uh, after a very profound ayahuasca experience. And I just happened to be in the shower one day. And all of a sudden, it just, everything just like clicked and hit me. And I just got this like amazing sense of clarity where all these dots connected that I was thinking of something. It was such an amazing moment. I went, I wrote it down. I was like, wow, this is so cool how this happens like this. Um, but it did take some time. And, um, I, I also recorded myself, uh, on mushrooms. I, I didn't plan to, I had taken a large dose, uh, mushroom and I was planning a session. I was planning this session and, and I just felt like, uh, like the mushrooms were like, kind of like, man, you got to like speak. Like it, I felt like compelled to speak. So I, I recorded this and I put it out on a podcast and <laughs> I mean, I mean, I said some good things in there, but it was very repetitive and really, I, I questioned still like, should I have released that? But interesting. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's maybe that's a good place to go next. Talking about uh, mushrooms, I I feel that mushrooms are very different than everything else, and obviously, uh, but I, I do get a sense of them kind of talking to me, and and this sort of dialogue and a, and a language that's that's being communicated. Uh, I'm wondering, maybe we can kind of get into some of your psychedelic experiences, or um, or just kind of talking about them in general. But do you? How, how do you feel about that? Do you think that in, in terms of, and you know, this is a weird question I get, maybe you get asked this too, and you know, people kind of are always trying to discern what the different, you know, the LSD or, or mushrooms, like, oh yeah, they're kind of the same, but a little bit different. I, I hear that a lot from people. They want to know like what the differences are or something. So maybe you can share a little bit about some of your experiences or what you think about the, the differences and, and how mushrooms communicate to you differently than other substances. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I do see some differences in them. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, going back to your, your comment about recording uh, things on mushrooms, rooms that I, I can remember one and I don't know if this is if I got this recorded but I can remember one time on mushrooms where for it seemed like I don't know how long but some seemed like over an hour all I could do is say the word is mm. is oh is. my god wow <laughs> I, I had that happen to me too oh boy holy but anyhow, cow wow that's blowing my mind I'm sorry I just uh, <laughs> that happened that happened to me too except it wasn't in a mushroom ceremony it was an ayahuasca ceremony and I went I wrote it down I went this this whole thing about is and then I was like that's why Isis is created there is is and there's this fear because we're, we're afraid of the moment we're afraid of what is and I went on this like whole thing and I'm like oh my god like what's going on right now anyway that just kind of blew my mind so wow. well you know it's interesting I've, I've never really mentioned that to anybody before and, and you're the first one and it happened to you so maybe this is a more common thing uh the is word we'll have to ask our friends about that yeah but as far as mushrooms uh, I, let's let's talk about uh, uh mushrooms lsd and ayahuasca sure. those are, are three completely different uh psychedelics as far as uh, how 
they uh, impact me. And let me preface this by saying, just because they affect me this way doesn't mean they're going to affect anybody else this way. Right. Uh, I'm just pointing this out to so that people can start paying attention to how it maybe does affect them. I know that uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I was disappointed for years in never seeing the, uh, the, the elves the same way that Tim, uh, Terrence McKenna described them. But mm-hmm. then after listening to enough of his uh, talks, I, I realized that he was actually describing something I did see, but he was just describing it in a different way than I would. So right. uh, that's the other thing. Don't get too locked into some of these descriptions is what I tell your friends, because uh, uh, the only thing that it really is really worthwhile as far as uh, comparing them is to see uh, how they maybe uh, affect you personally, and then you know which one to select for whatever uh, situation you find them uh, necessary for. Right, right. Uh, mushrooms, in, in, in a overall just uh, headlines on the three, I find mushrooms very cosmic. I find uh, acid very mechanical. And I find ayahuasca very earthbound. And uh, I, I do hear uh, some kind of a voice in my head uh, talking to me on mushrooms and ayahuasca, but never on acid. On acid, it's more of a, uh, like I said, mechanical. I, you know, I've used it for uh, uh, when I was writing code because you could keep three or four subroutines in your, your mind all at one time. You really, uh, uh, if you low dose uh, that. And uh, by the way, when I, when I, the last uh, six month uh, uh, final edit of The Spirit of the Internet, uh, I wrote that while I was microdosing every day. Oh, <laughs> wow. Nice. So, uh, so I, you know, I have some experience with that too. And I find uh, microdosing on acid uh, and, and LSD in general to uh, be able to uh, help a lot with mechanical issues or, or you know, I'm, I'm not a, an, a, an artist, but if I'm designing a website or something, uh, uh, it helps in those kind of areas. The mushrooms give me more of a sense of the, of the cosmos, uh, just sort of a, you know, a eternal kind of a sensation, big picture thing. And then uh, ayahuasca is more very much down to earth. Uh, sort of kick your butt saying, okay, quit feeling sorry for yourself. Let's get to business here. You're on planet Earth. We've got some stuff to do. And, and so that's it, it, only it's said in a, a very uh, nice, gentle uh, <laughs> woman's voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the mushrooms, I don't really hear a voice uh, other than just ideas coming in that don't seem to be my own. Right. Uh, ayahuasca is definitely, you know, uh, Lady Ayahuasca is more of a voice. Uh, that I do here. Yeah. And uh, are you familiar with uh, Alison Gray's painting of the secret language? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is something that I see in when I do heroic dose mushroom ceremonies for myself. Like I, I have seen that I, it's like this honeycomb web of secret language that's breathing and alive and like illuminated with multi colored patterns and uh i've seen that a few times it's 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 very i get the sense i i agree with you on your assessment of these uh experiences and i get that cosmic sense but i also get a very ancient sense too with mushrooms yeah you know and and here's a really good example of how how different uh people react to these things because what you were describing with of allison's uh magical writing 
I see that with a high dose of LSD. Mm. So, and, and but I definitely uh, what some of the images that she has. So uh, again, that's maybe an overall psychedelic kind of uh, effect that is taking place. So uh, yeah, uh, that's good. That's a great point to bring up, Lorenzo. Do these do these realms exist? in and of themselves, uh, or are they connected? Is there a, a, a level playing field? Is there a landscape, a ground? I, I hear people now talking about mapping the DMT space and these sorts of things. Are they their own singular spaces that we can tap into? And I know this is kind of just speculation, but I'm still interested to hear your opinion. And, you know, what do they share common ground or are they on, individually separate and on their own? But, you know, over the years, I have uh, fallen into almost every single camp uh, <laughs> that you can imagine uh, of, you know, I thought, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's this. And uh, every different direction one goes in. Uh, and, you know, I used to <laughs> I'm actually I still am licensed to practice law in Texas. So I'm a lawyer and I was trained to argue both sides of everything. So right. I would I would start arguing all the various sides of these uh these these equations and and thinking well you know it's in my head no it's out there it's there's ancestors you know all of these various things but here's here's something that uh, is going to be a while for you to uh, see if this happens to you but uh, as as I get older and by the way today is is Willie Nelson's eighty sixth birthday oh so wow happy, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Yeah. There's a good, there's somebody that's about the only person I know who smokes as much dope as I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I should smoke a joint right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, this. I am actually. <laughs> nice. Nice. Awesome. Happy birthday, Willie. But, uh, as, as I get older now, uh, and, and you know, he's 10 years older than I am and, and I expect to, to make it another 20 myself. Uh, I have found that I've really lost interest in that question because it's something I'm going to find the answer to much sooner than I really want. And so I, <laughs> I, I really don't spend much time speculating about all that now. All but right. in, in a direct answer to your question, I do, no matter whether this is all part of a single realm or whether it's part of it's in your head or whatever, as you said, there are, uh, whether it's, it's a, a mental construct or a, a really something that exists in a spiritual space, uh, there are different realms. Uh, ayahuasca is the easiest one to recognize because uh, as it's coming on, uh, you know, I can, I can be in a, in a room, in a, in a building, and yet when it's coming on, all of a sudden I can even smell the jungle and I can feel the vines. and and. You say, well, yeah, but, you know, you've seen all the stuff about ayahuasca. Well, when they gave ayahuasca to uh, Inuits, Eskimos up in Alaska, had they were having images of anacondas in the jungle, too. So there is something definitely associated with the, the deep inner earth with ayahuasca. That's, that is a definite realm. And ayahuasca is, uh, it, you know, these have all been important substances for me, but when it comes to just living my life on planet earth i've learned more from from uh, my experiences with the ayahuasca uh plants than anything else uh, they really have it, very earthbound now now some of my cosmic ideas and things like that comes from other places but for living uh, a life and being satisfied and content with uh, your spot on earth uh, ayahuasca really is a, a good place to start 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and what what better of a place, right? Because I think originally in my psychedelic forays when I got turned on in 2012, I I uh you know, I was very much into like the experience and you know, as as McKenna would say, like giving into astonishment. Like I I was like yeah, I want to be astonished. I want to see the fireworks show. Like I cuz I didn't really know what it was all about. It was a learning process and Really, the what I feel the message from ayahuasca is, is, hey, wake up and realize that you're connected to this planet, and everything that we do has repercussions and an impact. Don't destroy things. Live in harmony. Live with reciprocity. And, you know, all the kind of cosmic wonder and, you know, the transcendental object at the edge of time and all this stuff is fascinating and, and, and fun. But... We find ourselves in a kind of a maybe a hairy position right now. What's happening to the planet, and what's happening, you know, within politics and the globe and industry and all this sort of stuff, and even AI stuff people are talking about. And Elon Musk is saying, "Hey, be careful." And so there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. But the ayahuasca really says, "Hey, let's 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 work about let's work with the planet. Let's work with the Earth. Let's let's come back to nature." And and I saw this amazing quote. And I keep bringing this up on like every podcast I've been doing recently because it's just a great quote. It's like we're not defending nature; we are nature, and we're defending ourselves. So, you know, I think it's it's a great message and a great uh, a great uh, substance to tune into, and kind of we kind of need that right now, right? Yeah, and and you just hit the nail on the head. It's it's like uh, ayahuasca isn't isn't uh, somebody isn't a, a, an entity or whatever that's outside of us. It's wrapping its cloak around us and saying, "You are part of nature. You are an animal here on this planet and part of the whole environment." And I have never seen. I've seen a lot of people use ayahuasca. I've never seen somebody come out of an ayahuasca experience that wasn't much more of an environmentalist, more green. Right. Uh, and, and like, like you mentioned, uh, the fireworks and all, I have to be honest, I guess that the first maybe dozen ayahuasca experiences I had, I, I'd keep going up and getting a second and a third dose. And cause I wanted to see all of the fireworks and everything, but over time, uh, <laughs> I have completely reversed that. Uh, and, and now, uh, I, I have come to learn that, that the fireworks part is to let you know that you are entering a psychedelic experience and it's like when you go on on space mountain at one of the disney rides and you go you have this really long line that takes forever to get through and you're going <laughs> in a tunnel and there's all these little bright lights and stuff like that to keep you kind of interested yeah that's not the ride that's getting you to the ride right 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 <laughs> that's the way i see the fireworks with uh, with uh, ayahuasca in particular and now uh i'm i'm just kind of waiting for them to get over with because, you know, that is kind of a rougher spot physically too. But once the fireworks is over and, and you think, okay, I'm back to baseline now. And then you try to stand up and realize you can't stand up. That's when the work starts. That's when it really gets good. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you've learned uh, a lot from ayahuasca. I was wondering if you could share maybe some of the things that you learned, some, some things that you took away from some of your ceremonies. Uh, well, I, I tell you, one of the, the big things, uh, I had, I'd had an experience, uh, a couple of years before, uh, with ketamine that really got me, uh, 
pretty much over my fear of death completely. Oh, wow. And, and uh, yet I, I still had other fears, you know, and I wanted to, you know, live without fear as much as I can, because that's how they're controlling us. All the politicians, all they talk about is something based on fear. Right. So I, I went into this one ayahuasca experience saying <clears throat> with my intention was I want to get through my fear. And I've learned that in these experiences, particularly with ayahuasca, you, it's good to have an intention going in, but you don't want to get hung up on it because uh, sometimes it just doesn't happen. So nothing, you know, I was doing other things, thinking about other things. And, and uh, in the way I, I have experienced ayahuasca, that the first half a dozen times, I don't think I even uh, barfed, you know, that uh, there's, there's a big part of purging there. Yeah. And, and once I started purging, I found out that that was really an important uh, I didn't fight it anymore because some ma amazing things happened there. And uh, my, my alarm just notified me to, that I've got an uh, interview with you because I forgot it was mountain time. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, here we are. Oh, uh, well, the, the mysteries of time. Where are we right. really, you know? <laughs> so anyhow, uh, what, what happens to me during an ayahuasca experience, I'll get uh, all of a sudden a little voice in my head will say, pick up your bucket. You know, we sit on the floor. And right. Start, Right. bucket next to us and, and that's when the purging starts so i had wanted to talk about fear and i was thinking about other things and all of a sudden this voice said pick up your bucket and then the voice says we're going to get rid of your fear and i started barfing you know purging and you know i hadn't uh, i hadn't eaten in about eight hours and had very little water but I couldn't believe how much black gunk was coming up into this bucket. You know, yeah, just where's it come from? It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and finally I was done and I started putting the bucket down and, and it said, pick up your bucket again. You're not done. <laughs> and it, it kept going on, but finally it ended. And I have to, I have to tell you that was quite a few years ago. And, I, I have some things that concern me from time to time, but I, I live pretty much without fear. Uh, so that's, that's an example of how it has helped me. Now, now, did anything really happen other than something happened in my head? Uh, maybe not, but at least something triggered in my mind that, that eliminated my constant jump to a fearful mode. Uh, something did change the way I thought. And whether uh, it was triggered by ayahuasca or it was just time for me to get over my fears, I don't know. But that's when it, it really happened for me. Yeah, amazing. It's, you know, we're talking about internet and code and things like this. And it's, it's almost like you, you rewired your, your software, you upgraded your system to override the environmental fear paradigm, you know, the, the, the paradigm of fear that we, it's so omnipresent, you, we're swimming in it. You know, it's, it, we live in this, this society that just constantly pumps that out, pumps it out for the clicks, pumps it out for the likes, you know, pumps it out for the, the news ratings, you know, the paychecks, all that stuff. And it's kind of hard to not have that fear. Um, you know, it, and, and that's how we're kind of programmed. We're, so we, we're sort of forced to tune into that frequency that's being sent out to that, you know, that code that's being uh, presented to our operating systems. And we're responding in, in tune. And uh, it sounds like to me that you, you had a software upgrade to, the, to overwrite this system. What, what do you think about that? 
Well, yeah, def- definitely of some sort. And and also just living a long time, you realize that uh, 99 and 9 tenths percent of the things that you worried about never happened. <laughs> you know, and, uh, back in, in the summer of 99, my wife and I were, were uh, traveling in Vietnam with my friends over there. And, and uh, there Beautiful were a lot country, of little, yeah. uh, little uh, things that, that would pop up that would cause us all kinds of fearful events. And finally, we decided, you know what? We're not going to worry about something until it actually happens. <laughs> and, right. and we didn't have anything left to worry about for the rest of the trip because none of these things happen. And, and uh, that's, that's another way to kind of get around your fears that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, people have trouble uh, enjoying their evening because they think their boss is going to chew them out the next day. Well, between that, that evening and the next morning, nothing's going to change. Uh, you know, the world's not going to end. So at least uh, get a few hours of enjoyment out of it and, and you know, worry about it later. And the, the other thing is that, uh, you know, when bad things happen to us, not all bad things, but a lot of bad things happen to us. It's been my experience that if you wait about 10 years and, and then tell the story, it becomes a funny story. Mm. And, and that's true with a, a lot of things. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, car crashes and houses burning down and stuff, but there are, are a lot of things that seem like a, a horrible tragedy that when you tell it a few years later, it, it, <laughs> it, it's <not laughs> silly, you know? Yeah, so yeah. Another, another part of my philosophy is uh, laugh at things sooner. Don't wait 10 years. Don't wait 10 days. You know, try to laugh at things sooner because, you know, life is kind of a farce when you think about it. Oh, amazing, Lorenzo. Amazing. I completely agree with you. I, I, I've had so many experiences that just lead me to believe that this, we're living in this very paradoxical thing that we're in. We're never going to know what it is, but it's, there's a tinge of trickster, you know, in there. There's a tinge of cosmic humor of the, the humor of being itself. And yeah, you know, I, I really, I really do believe in that as, as a, um, significant substance to the, to the, the importance of being alive is to, to know that, you know, to tap into that. Cause at the end of the day, what's the worst that can happen? (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, maybe, and, and this is, this is how, how another little thing, trick of mind I use that, you know, I was raised a Catholic. And so our, our whole life was spent thinking we, we've got to get prepared for what comes after this life. Right. And as a result, I missed most of my fucking childhood. You know, mm. I was always worried about the afterlife and maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. It doesn't really matter anymore, but what if this is all we get? What if there is no spiritual life? What if there's no soul? There's nothing else. We don't know for sure. Sure, we hope there is and think there is. But what if there's not? Well, then we damn sure ought to get all we can out of what we've got right now. Yeah. Amen. You know, it's, I always say this. It's like, why, why would you gamble on something that you're unsure of when what you have is so sure? You know, we, we know we're here. We know we're in this game. We know we're doing this, th- this dance. Let's, let's game it up. Let's dance it up. You know, what are we doing, you know, gambling on something else? Now, you know, I, I want to see what's behind door number three, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately, in, in living in, in the United States uh, with so much advertising, we, we have been conditioned to compare ourselves to 
others, to other things. And if we don't have the right t-shirt on or the right purse or whatever, uh, we're constantly comparing ourselves to others because we've been conditioned that way by the barrage of advertising that we're exposed to. And so one of the ways I've counteracted that, and I mentioned this in a talk that I gave recently up at uh, Orcas Island, uh, I, I, I had an experience in Vietnam of, in, in a leper village up near uh, Laos, up in the Central Highlands. Uh, th- there was a young woman there who, you know, she had leprosy. Her, her nose and mouth were essentially gone and very disfigured. But we made this deep eye contact to where we, we seemed to exchange, you know, a lot of information between us. And, and since that moment in time, Whenever I feel like I'm, I'm not getting something I really wanted to get or should get or deserve or whatever, uh, instead of comparing myself to anybody like that, I compare myself to this, this young woman in this leper village who really had no chance of having the kind of life that I have. And, and so I'm comparing myself to her. And as a result, I'm better off than, than any, you know, billionaire on earth, you know, and so I, I try to appreciate what I have. And, you know, I actually, I, I, for me, it's much easier than it would be for most people because <laughs> by the time I was 40 years old, I was a multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, by my 45th birthday, I was so broke, I was sleeping in my car under a freeway overpass. So <laughs> I've been up wow. and I've been down. And I'll tell you what, when I had a lot of money, I was so much more unhappy than I've ever been since I lost it all because I was worried about keeping it and uh, how am I going to maintain this standard of living when I retire and I got kids to go into college and and all of those things are behind me now and you know I'm I'm living on my social security income and the donations I get through Patreon and it's it's I'm living a wonderful life I've got you know, more time on my hands than I've ever had. Uh, I don't have to worry about, you know, stocks and bonds because I don't have any. <laughs> my yeah. wife and I have a 10 year old car, only one car. And uh, yet I still have uh, more stuff than I need. And, and uh, I can appreciate it because when I had a lot of stuff, I, d- I didn't have time to really enjoy it. And, and now I, I, when I buy a book, I can sit down and read it. I don't have to worry about, oh, I bought that last year. I never got around to reading it. So <laughs> it's, it's a matter of priorities. And I'm only now learning what I understand the, the new millennial generation has already figured out on their own. And that's why I'm so positive about the future. I think the younger people, and thanks in part to the internet, because they can see the rest of the world, uh, I think that things are going to uh, maybe not in the mainstream press and in the mainstream news, you're not going to feel like it. But underground, uh, there's a movement of, of, of educated, self-educated young people who are really going to make this world better. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to consider myself one of them. I, I've learned more from listening to your show, to watching your talks, to tuning into what you know, the things that you curated and offered and then, you know, going into a spider web of, of learning and information and knowledge, then my whole life, you know, I, I, I graduated college and, you know, the re- recession hit and I couldn't get a job and I took out these loans and I was like, man, this was all bullshit. I, you know, they lied to me. I, this is, this is horrible. I, I can't make any money. I can't afford to live. And 
you know, then I started figuring out, I was like, there's got to be something else out there. You know, I, I had a profound LSD experience, tuned into Psychedelic Salon, you know, Googling things on, on YouTube, Alan Watts talks, this and that, Ram Dass, and uh, Be Here Now. And then it just spiraled off. And so, you know, now I feel like I'm living my life way better than I used to. You know, I, I grew up in this mentality of like this certain kind of macho male kind of attitude and what you have to do and what women will be attracted to and this sort of thing. And, you know, now I met a wonderful uh, woman at an ayahuasca center. We've had a great relationship and, and we're living more, you know, with less. And because that is, that has been the message. That has been the learning that I have achieved. And I relate, I was in Laos, I was in Luan Prabang, Laos, uh, walking down the street and seeing uh, vendors selling not just food, they had arts and crafts, other things, but the arts and crafts that they had was, were very interesting. And they had these signs and they were fragments, they were jewelry that was made out of fragments of unexploded ordinances left by the United States and their bombing, their secret bombing of Laos and dropping all these bombs there. And a lot of them went unexploded and people get maimed and on you know, these things. And these people took that pain and took that tragedy out of these fragments of explosive weapons that the United States dropped over there and turned them into art and jewelry. And when I saw, I mean, that just, that just like, that just hit my heart, you know? And it's like, my God. You know, I'm looking at the, the people that are selling these things and very similar to the experience you had looking at this woman as well. You realize, you know, you, you really realize what, what's going on and what it's all about and what's really important, you know, and, and travel can do that and psychedelics can do that and reaching out to like-minded individuals and connecting with them on the internet like we're doing right now. That's, this is the, this is what it's all about here. You know, you just, you just brought back a real warm memory for me that, uh, when my dad, my dad served in the South Pacific in World War II, when he came back from the war, he brought back some jewelry he'd made out of unexplored ordnance. <laughs> I still have a cigarette lighter that he made from, from that. So uh, uh, that, that's kind of an interesting connection I'd never really thought of before. But uh, you're, you're, you're exactly the example that I'm, I'm thinking of the young people. I think you said, Mike, that you had your first experience in 2012. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. 2012 was a year I, I gave a, a workshop, I led a workshop, Bruce Damer and I led a workshop at Esalen uh, Institute. And that was sort of the, the pinnacle <laughs> of my psychedelic experience was to speak at Esalen. And I was 42 years old before I'd ever tried psychedelics. I'd never even smoked pot. So uh, if you think about uh, your, your uh, cadre, whatever you call it, your, uh, your age group, uh, people are, are learning not just about the internet, but about psychedelics and about life, uh, about cutting back and not needing the corporate, uh, climb that we were, you know, I was brought up in a similar uh, environment like you were. And, you know, I was taught, you know, you, you work up the corporate ladder and that's the whole thing. Uh, and you get a bigger house and more cars. And, you know, at one time I had you know, a huge house and five cars and all like that. And, and, uh, Yet all I was doing was working. I never had time to play with any of my toys. And, and now I have a lot of time. I don't have any real money, but I, I don't even uh, need anything. You know, it's just uh, you, it's a matter of learning. And I learned of this through ayahuasca of what really it is that makes my day nice for me. And uh, I'm surrounded by that now. And, and I really don't need anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so. 
you you started off i mean as you were saying you didn't start doing this until you were in your 40s um and i believe you have a video actually called confessions of an ecstasy advocate right was 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 that your first uh dabble into this space was with uh ecstasy or mdma yeah exactly uh yeah that that if you go to psychedelicsalon.com that video is there Excuse me. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we'll have the links for it, that. It's a it's yeah. a thirty minute interview that uh, some people uh, conducted that uh, tells the whole story. But yeah, I was I was forty two years old, uh, an Irish Catholic Republican lawyer in Dallas, Texas, <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine had told me I won't tell the whole story because it's in that video. But uh, long story short, I tried MDMA for the first time and uh, shortly became almost evangelical about it, and then I became a dealer. All that time, it was legal. <laughs> then it became illegal, and I became a drug dealer. <laughs> so it was quite an experience. But uh, I had to do a lot of catch up, and then I didn't have any peers because uh, basically I had to leave the state of Texas and lay low for a while. So <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I'm still Irish, but the uh, Catholic Republican lawyer stuff is gone, although I, I still am licensed, I guess. But uh, the the uh, MDMA experience was really important, and it was important because it was legal. I never would have even tried it if it hadn't been legal. Mm-hmm. And after that first experience, uh, of course, the people that helped me uh, get it, you know, they were really into the drug scene, and they helped me get a lot of other things after that. But after that one experience, I realized how I'd been lied to. It still took me almost a year before I tried marijuana, and it took me two years before I tried LSD, even though I'd been carrying it around for a while because I was scared. You know, there was mm-hmm. there was no internet, there was no arrowid.org, there was no place to go to get this information. And uh, I was out at the end of the line. I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. So uh, there was a lot of self-exploration and finally came in contact with a few other people. And then I, I went to a McKenna lecture and then everything changed. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a psychedelic experience in and of itself, I could imagine. Um, you know, uh, the the you brought up some great stuff there and I'm in Denver right now. And, uh, you know, since I moved here, I've become really good friends with the people that are running the decriminalized Denver campaign to decriminalize psilocybin mushrooms in the city and County of Denver. And that vote is happening on May 7th. And I just interviewed, uh, people from decriminalized nature, Oakland, uh, and Erie, um, over there, Larry and Carlos. And, uh, it's also going on in Portland. So now, you know, and we've seen it happen with cannabis and now we're starting to see the, these things happen with mushrooms. And, you know, you mentioned like if it was illegal, you wouldn't have touched it. So this really gives me a lot of hope in in saying that if an Irish Catholic Republican lawyer uh, can change uh, from a legal substance because it's, you know, all the conditions that you described, it had to be that way for you to go and do that. That when we're starting to make these motions now to get these drugs more and these substances and medicines and plants and these fungi allies decriminalized and more available to people, there's, there's a really good hope that, pe- that people who aren't, you know, hip to our thing right now could get to it, right? I, I think so. And, and you know, the, 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 when you're talking about it just now, I was thinking uh, about the change that took place in me. And, and what happened wasn't that I changed into someone that I hadn't been, but I changed back into who I was when I was a young boy. 
Mm. And over the years, I had built up all of these shells over me, you know, lawyer, engineer, dad, stuff like that. But if you think about the best moment you had on the best day of your childhood, well, MDMA took me back to there and just washed away everything else. And I was able to start again with who I really was. Oh, man. Yeah. So amazing. And so true. It's like we, we are these things. And you were talking about uh, interact, you know, hanging out with your grandchildren and those things. I'm, I'm a new, recently new uncle. And being an uncle, uh, I have uh, two nieces and a nephew. And it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to be around these kids. It's a psychedelic experience to be around these kids. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, that, and, and that, that changes you like so profoundly too, but that's who we all really are. And then it's all these layers that we put on, you know, that society says that we should have to put these things on. The group think says that, you know, we conform to the group and we do all these things that aren't really us and we're just doing that, you know, and then we identify with them. I remember Ram Dass says this awesome thing in one of his talks where he says like, uh, you identify yourself, you buy a GM car, you identify yourself as a GM driver, you're a GM driver, you know, and you know, your wife is like, honey, come to bed. You know, I'm, I'm not honey. I'm a GM driver. And it's like, you know, that's, (laughs) that's not who you really are. Like we're not these things. It's the reemerging of what we truly are back into ourselves is what the psychedelic experience could be a catalyst for, right? Yeah, you know, my my uh, brother pointed it out to me. He he died in 2010, but uh, he was a professor uh, at the University of Granada in Spain. And uh, well, I was visiting him over there one time, and, and uh, he said, you know, one of the reasons everybody over here thinks Americans are so strange is when you meet somebody for the first time, he says, within an hour or so, they've said, well, what do you do? He says, over here, we don't say that. We, we wonder who you are, what you think, but we don't care what you do for a living. You know, we all have to work. And uh, if you think about it here in the U.S., so that's one of the first questions people ask. Well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who, uh, who are you? Or, you know, like what, <laughs> what's going on? Well, L- Lorenzo, we are, we're, we're uh, a little over an hour right now. And I know I want to be mindful of your time. And I, I really appreciate you being here and having this conversation with me. I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about. I would love to talk to you for 17 hours straight. But uh, <laughs> I was wondering, maybe, is there something uh, in the conversation that, uh, that you would like to, to, to expand upon more or talk about? Or um, is there something maybe a lot of the times when we're getting towards the end of the conversations, I like to ask my guests kind of big, big questions, you know? And so not that we haven't been talking about big questions this whole time, but really I want to get a sense of like, what, what would, what would uh, an ideal world for you look like? And how do you think that we could potentially get there, you know, and you know, I guess, of course, in the realm of what you're knowledgeable with, but, uh, you know, of psychedelics, the internet, these sorts of things, and how we can, you know, what kind of world would you like to see? What What do you think is possible that we can achieve here? Well, the first thing I'd say is we, we shouldn't get into a mindset of one size fits all. Uh, because cause we humans, we sapiens are so varied. and I don't think that that uh, we want to become a monoculture because the cultures are what, why do we travel? It's not for the scenery so much as to meet other people and eat other food and have other cultural experiences. And so <clears throat> one of the things I'd like to see is, is instead of a, a 
world community of nations. We had a world community of cultures, and we we honored everybody else's culture. We I may not like uh, the culture of Saudi Arabia, but it's not my business to say, well, I've got a better culture. Let me sell you mine because I don't have a better culture. I have one that's kind of working for us. But uh, to be honest, I I'm not really excited about living in a big city. I'm really for me, uh, the ideal world is, is living in a really small town or out in the country uh, with access to other people uh, regularly, so I'm not just isolated. But that's just me. Now, there's other people. Uh, I know some people that wouldn't want to leave the island of Manhattan because they wouldn't feel safe. And so <laughs> yeah, that's, that was that's, me for eight years. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and uh, it's, it's a different culture. So all I'm saying is that uh, you know, that old Rodney King line, can't we all just get along? And what I've found is that we really can. You know, when you, when you get down to the bare bones of who we are as, as homo sapiens, uh, my, one of my very closest friends is a man who's a, a generation younger than me. Uh, he's he's an orphan from Vietnam. He was an orphan from Vietnam. I guess we both are orphans. Our parents are dead now. <laughs> I'm a 76-year-old orphan. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, he and I got to know each other so well. It's like if you're, if you're really into computer programming, uh, you, you, instead of assembly language, you get down to machine language, the ones and zeros. And we got to know each other that well. And we realized that at that level, we are exactly alike. And our cultures and our religions and our families and our politics have all put shells over us. And that's true with everybody that down, down, down at our cores, we, we want the same kind of things. Maybe they're expressed in different ways, but we have the same wants and needs. And if we can recognize that in others and, and not uh, just reject what they're doing because it's uh, alien to us, as long as it's not directly impacting us, uh, you know, they're, they're thinking the same about our culture. And, and we, uh, we really should be able to uh, merge most cultures. I'm not saying every culture, but, uh, you know, most, most humanistic cultures, uh, I think, could be merged into a world of cultures. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't see it happening, but that's, that would be my dream. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I think I'm very interested in the work that Graham Hancock does and, and people of his ilk uh, investigating these mysteries of the past. And, you know, I wonder if maybe we did have something like that at one point. And, and I, I know that we did. Uh, we definitely did. Uh, but I wonder if they knew about it. You know, I wonder if they knew about each other. We don't necessarily know. And who knows, maybe it's just an interesting thought. But there was a, a period of time where there were spread out all over the world, different cultures. And yeah, if we can kind of reintroduce that model, but the only way that we could do that now, because we're connected and we see everybody and we know everybody is we have to learn how to have, I guess, respect, right? For, for respect for differences, respect you know, the, one of the things that the psychedelic experience and the internet provide is just a, a, a infinite array of novelty and diversity. So, you know, I think that what we see happening now with psychedelics being talked about more and more and more things being done is maybe we can start to put that in place and, and ha have this offering up where we could create this world of uh, respecting each other's differences, right? And, and and one of the things I would encourage people to do is is to learn more about history. For example, uh, you you just brought back up uh, other cultures spread around the world. Yeah. There's a, a great book called fourteen titled fourteen ninety one, 
and it's about uh, North and South America before the Columbus uh, expeditions got here. And in, in uh, I can't remember the exact year, but at, at, during, at a time when Paris, France had a population of 500 people, there was a city in central Bolivia that had a population of over 400,000 people. Wow. There, there were huge cultures here on, this con- on these uh, North and South American continents. And so, you know, those are the kind of things that are worth thinking about. You know, how did they go away? Why did they go away? And there's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, and and it, it's uh, ways that we can build little mini cultures. Uh, and, you know, the, the Burning Man theme camp model is an interesting one, I think, mm-hmm. because Burning Man becomes a big city, you know, the, the Black Rock City. And it's comprised of hundreds of little theme camps, and each of those are, are little towns of their own. And I think that if we, uh, uh, even in a, in a town of, of uh, 10,000 people, you can have one or two theme camps that you have the, the you know, various cultures. that And, and you see this, uh, I see it up in uh, Minnesota a lot, where there's a lot of uh, uh, folk dancing and folk customs. And even in Florida and here in California, some of the... Uh, Particularly the Scandinavian countries seem to do, uh, keep their culture alive uh, wherever they are. And I think these little things uh, uh, helping us remember our heritage and, and where some of the people who struggled to get us where we are, uh, what they had to go through, and, and the things that were important to them as far as maybe we don't want to every night go out and, and dance a, a clod, <laughs> clod with clod <laughs> shoes. But on the other and hand, yeah. <laughs> to remember that somebody did that that was in our line and, and uh, uh, we need to honor them a little bit and uh, hope that somebody coming down the road will remember us too. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that message. Uh, a much, you know, very important one. Uh, thank you so much for spending time with me and the Mikeadella crew here. And uh, I got to give a shout out to uh, the Denver uh, Psychedelic Club. They uh, posed some questions, but we didn't have time for them. But uh, we, we talked about some of the things around them. So yeah, thank you for, for being here and sharing all that stuff. Go to PsychedelicSalon.com. Listen to Psychedelic Salon, of course. If you don't know about it, you need to. It's the podcast that inspired me. And Lorenzo, uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom and being here and, uh, and everything that you do. Is there anywhere else where people should go follow you and uh, check out your, your work and, and all the great books that we mentioned, too, in the beginning? Oh, they just need to keep the old faith and stay high, Mike. <laughs> Hell yeah. Happy birthday, Willie Nelson. And uh, light up that joint, spark up that vape, load up that bowl. All right. Will do. And I look forward to our next conversation, Mike. We'll have to do this again. Definitely. Me too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Peace. Be, Be well. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Hope you guys like these podcasts and enjoy them. And if you do, please spread the podcast, share it, tell a neighbor, tell a coworker, tell a friend, tell a cat, tell a mouse, tell a dog, tell an ant, tell a firefly, tell whoever you tell, share it, spread it, like it, all that good stuff. If you you really love the show, you want to go a step further, you really want to help us out, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, and go to patreon.com, patreon slash Mike Brank, and um, patreon.com slash Mike Brank, and you can donate as little as a dollar a month, $2 a month, whatever you want. Help support the show that way as well. But remember, I love you guys no matter what you do. I just love that you tune in and you enjoy these podcasts. Message me. I like hearing feedback. Get in touch with me on Instagram, Mike Adelic Podcast, Mike Brank on Facebook as well. And, um, 
Thanks to our sponsors, Synchro and Hemp Bombs. If you want a discount on ketogenic and plant-based nutrition products, go to Synchro and type in the code uh, Mikeadelic at checkout to get 20% off. And they have amazing ketogenic chocolate fudge called Keto Mana that I have all the time because it's has like no sugar and carbs in it. So it's great. And, um, and it's delicious. And if you want CBD, uh, go to hempbombs.com and get 15% off all your CBD needs, I guess. And uh, just enter the code Mike15 at checkout. But thank you once again to everybody. Thanks to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the music, the intro and the outro. I love you all. Peace.